We're going to turn to the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to Revelation chapter 3. That would be great. Chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm taking a series, when I've been speaking in the evening, I've been looking at um, the seven churches in Revelation, and the theme is Jesus in the midst. And um, we'll be, we've been looking at his message to seven different churches. And in those seven churches, there are seven different messages. And what I've been saying is that there's, perhaps there's something that we can learn and apply for life today. There's seven messages for life today. and Some things that as Christians... And churches that we can learn from and look to apply and lay hold of for our lives today. And that's where we've been going over the last few weeks when I've been speaking in the evening. So this evening I want to take up the theme of wake up is my theme. And it's based on Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. And it's the church at Sardis. And the theme is wake up. So verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. In verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wake up. Jesus says to the church, wake up. We've been looking at a series when I've been sharing in the evening and uh, looking at Jesus in the midst, Jesus in the middle of the church, this is a, a, the book of Revelation is a, a vision, a, a revelation, a vision that John has. And in the, uh, uh, one of the leaders of the early church, a man called John, on the island of Patmos, he was imprisoned, sent by the, the Roman emperor at the time into exile on, on an island off the, the um, sort of Greek and, and Turkish coast. And it was on this island that he has this vision of Jesus coming and Jesus standing in the midst of his church the candlesticks representing the, the various seven candlesticks representing the seven churches. We've been looking at this. And with our understanding is this, that Jesus knows and cares and wants to be amongst his church. At that time when the book of Revelation was being revealed and written, the church was under great persecution from the then uh, Roman emperor at the time. And it's as if Jesus wanted the church to know and his people to know at the time that he cares. He wants to be amongst us. He wants to be in the midst of our lives. He wants to be in the church. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be amongst us and around us. He's revealed in Revelation chapter 1 as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. One of the things that I was saying is that Jesus has the first and last say on our circumstance. 
You know the circumstance that you might find yourself in life, when things go wrong, when things aren't the way in which we'd hope they'd be, then Jesus Christ is the one. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It's the, the Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek al- al- alphabet. It's interesting that he, the symbol is that God is the very beginning and the end. He is the beginning of all things, and he will call the end to all things. So like Ian Hall was saying this morning, there's this um, guy in America who, was, who prophesied the end of the world, and he, he, knew, he knew the times and the seasons, and he worked it all out. Well, only God knows the end. Je- even Jesus said, I don't know the end, but God knows the end. And so God is the one who brings things to an end. He's the beginning, the author, creator, and he will be the one who ends all. But also in the midst of that, that's great comfort for you and I, because in the circumstance that you might face, the difficulty and challenge of life, perhaps in our family, maybe in our nation, circumstance at work, maybe in your own personal life, maybe the doctor has said something, that God is the first, the creator. He has the first say and the last say over your life. He is the first say and the last say over our church. No one big personality, no one person, but the creator himself. Now, this is radically important, and this is what he was revealing to the early church. And so in the Revelation, this book, the book of Revelation, is not just a picture of end-time events. That's something I'm going to take up in the future. I'm going to do a short series on that in the the near future, but that's for another day. The Revelation is also a picture of God saying, I am the first and last say on life, and no matter how difficult it might seem, I want to be in the midst of your life. And this is what he was saying to the church at the time. And so we've been looking at some of the ways and some of the things that we can learn. We don't want to make the same mistakes. And as Jesus spoke to the different churches at that time, the mistakes they were making... We make the same mistakes today. So although this was something written round about, I don't know, 70, 90 AD, 90 AD probably, so 90 years after Jesus, this was written at that time. There's something that we can take for life today. We've been looking at that week after week. So the church in Sardis then, and um, this idea that Jesus says, wake up. There's a need to wake up sometimes in life. The church in Sardis This um, city would have been a rich city. In actual fact, it was a very had been historically a a renowned city of the area, had become very, very rich. And it was built on a high mountain top area, and it grew and became so rich that it also went further into the below the in in the the, um, land underneath this underneath this high outcrop of rock where the city grew up and became very rich. It also built further below and it grew outgrew and became a very rich um, area. Um, but it, the city by this time had known better days. By this time of the writing of the Revelation, the city had grown rich and yet it had become quite um, a diverse place. But it had become a place that had become complacent as a city. And it, although it was rich, it was on the wane. It was on the, the down. Some people are saying that the West, the Western world, is now on the down. And it's the Eastern world that is now on the up. You know, spiritually speaking, materially speaking, we're still very rich in the West, but there's talk around the world. That's interesting. I'm going to look at that in the, in the, over the next few weeks, uh, in, in a few months' time, uh, when I look at end time events. But um, this is a city that was a bit on the down at, at this time. It was a place that was beginning to be, was past its best, let's say. Put it politely. It had gone past its best, although it had been a very rich city. And the church in Sardis was reflecting the church. What was in the church was beginning to be reflecting what was outside the church in the area. 
Interesting, this happened in the Corinthians. In the book of Corinthians is written to Christians in a place called Corinth who were acting like the area in which they lived. And the sins of the area had come into the life of the church. Not the church affecting the area, but the area affected the church. And so at Sardis, the same thing was beginning to happen. The complacency, going past its sell-by date in the area, had begun to affect the very heart and life of the church itself. And what we find in Sardis, it was a church that was living off its reputation. Just as, just as the, the, the city had had a great reputation of being very wealthy, this church had had a great reputation of being very alive. It had been the place to go to. It was the conference center of the Asian world at the time. It was the happening place. If you were going to sign up for any conference, you would have gone to Sardis because at the time it was the place to go to. It was buzzing. And they were living off this reputation. How easy it is to live off something. And you can live off something good for a long, long time. If you're hurtling down the motorway and you take your, and, and you, you go very fast, I won't say how fast it might be, but let's say you're going very, very fast, and you take your foot off the accelerator, you can still cruise down for quite you know, for a little while, can't you? It's called momentum. Dangerous thing, momentum, because we sometimes live off past momentum. Dangerous call to the whole church of the world today. We, as the church of 2,000 years of history, have got 2,000 years of momentum. But for some of us and for some of the church and some areas of the church, it's on the dive. The momentum's all got... Because when you take your foot off the accelerator, you cruise for a while, but then the old... Um, ex- uh, what's the thing called? Speedometer, thank you. <laughs> what's happened to me tonight? The speedo starts to go down. The speedo is going down for the church. But in certain areas, it's very dangerous if we don't watch it. And we have to put foot back on the accelerator and get momentum again. But past momentum. Now, interestingly, this is exactly what Sardis was living on. It was a church that lived off past momentum, but they hadn't realized it. And it took Jesus to come up to them and say, wake up! It took Jesus to say, wake up, because they've been mesmerized by their past momentum. There's a phrase for you. Write that one down. I've just thought that one up. They were mesmerized by their past momentum. How dangerous that is for a Christian to be mesmerized by past momentum, because you think there's nothing wrong. You say to yourself, I'm okay. I'm doing fine. We're doing all right. But let's look at this. We'll go a bit further and we'll look at this together. It's just a warning for me. It's a warning for you. It's a warning for us. It's a wake-up call to the church, wherever, for all of our lives. It's a a warning for everyone at any time. And so the church here was living off a past reputation. It had a full program. People were doing things. Hang on a minute, you say. Hang on a minute. Our church is buzzing. We've got loads of stuff going on. Whoopee-doo. Doesn't mean too much, actually. Whoopee-doo. It doesn't really mean too much. And it's exactly what Jesus said to Sardis. Look at this. He says, I know your deeds and your reputation. It didn't mean anything to him. That's quite frightening, isn't it? Why? He's the living God. He calls us to be living people. Don't live off. You know, the Israelite people, when they collected manna in the, in the desert, the bread of heaven in the Old Testament... God said, collect it every day. Don't store it up. It will go rotten if you do. It's a story in the Old Testament, right? When they disobeyed him and they stored the stuff up, 
What happened? The next day it was rotten. Why? God says, I'm a living God and you need to be in touch with me each day. I'm a God of today. So you can't just live off the God of last year, yesterday, last week, or, or even last month or whatever it is. I'm a God of today. So it's to live today. Keep your foot on the accelerator, in other words. Keep in step. The, in the book of Galatians, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. So we've got to keep in step. We've got to keep the foot on the pedal, as it were. But the Holy Spirit helps us do that. We'll look at that. So they were living off past momentum, full program, people doing things. But, you know, you can do things for God and yet not know God personally. You can do things for God and yet not know God. Do you know it's easy to do stuff, to have ministry and to do things and yet not know God? I mean, you can know of God. You can hear of God. Hey, even the demons know God in the sense of they know of God and they shudder. But they don't have a relationship with him, as in knowledge relationship, experiential relationship. And this is what I'm getting at. What Jesus was saying is, you can do lots of stuff, and you've done lots of stuff, and you're doing lots of stuff, but you've, you've neglected something. You've neglected your knowledge of me. Knowledge in the sense of your experience. To know, in its fullest and literalist sense, means to have experience of. Experiential knowledge. And so what he was saying to this group of people was, you're doing lots of stuff. You're living off of past momentum and you think that you're okay because there's a full program and there's lots of people around and you're all running around doing stuff, but you're just like any club and any other organization. You don't know me. There you go, we've got there finally. That's it in a nutshell. You don't know me. We neglect the heart have you heard it said when somebody says, have a heart? You know, you, someone's been a bit rough and tough. You say, have a heart, will you? Have a heart. God says, I want your heart. And this is what life's really, truly all about. It's so simple, but we make it difficult because we want things to seem much more complicated than that. People make millions and millions of dollars and pounds out of making, making Christianity complicated and then selling you a DVD on how you can fix it. But it's so simple. The heart of God. The heart of God. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, You have a reputation, says Jesus, of being alive, but you are dead. My word, these are riveting, strong words. Wake up. Sardis was spiritually dull. It was dead rather than awake and alive. Spiritually, they were dull and dead rather than heart awake and alive. Now, I want to say to you, it's so easy for the heart to grow cold. This is what they're getting at, right? For the heart to have gone cold. You know, it's so easy for you and I as people, you know, I use the analogy. When I, um, now and again, I do get a, a re- not a brand, brand new car, but a relatively newish car. When I, when, whenever you buy your new car, if you've ever had the privilege of having a car that's relatively new, when you first get your new car or your new house or your new cooker or your new fridge freezer, whatever it is that's new, you look up, it's all nice and shiny, and you look after it and you keep it. And you, and you might not come out every day and look at your freezer and say, what a lovely freezer you are. But if you've got a new car, you think, that's a nice looking car, isn't it? You might buff it up. If you're Dave Sanders, he's on holiday at the moment, but he buffs his car up. He, Good at valeting and buffing up cars as David. But, you know, you look after it and you look at it and you think, and you get in your car and you drive it and you think, this is new. 
Give it a month or two, well, not with me, it's a couple of months more, but two or three months down the line and it's been parked in Asda and someone's gone bang and knocked it and you think, oh no. And someone's driven your car and driven it up against the curb and the alloy wheels have now got a scratch on them and that's what's happened in my car. Yeah, I'm revealing my heart now. After a while, you know, we get, you get used to it, don't you? Or is it just me that gets used to things? Maybe, maybe you don't, maybe everything's new every day for you. The sun will come out tomorrow and every day you're skipping down the road and everything's wonderful. For me, it's not like that. I know for me, I get up the next day and I just sort of get on with it. And you just walk, you go, you get to church and you sit there and you sit in your seat and you, and you listen to that and you think, oh, that wasn't very good or this was good. And, you, and then you go and you do, it's, it's called life, isn't it? We get, it's a habit. We just get used to stuff. This is what happened in Sardis. Don't think that these people were filthy awful, evil people. They were just like you and me. They were people, just like you and me. And how easy it is, this is why Jesus says, have a heart. How easy it is to get used to something. How easy it is to be doing stuff, having ministry, doing this for God or doing that in church, being involved in this. How easy it is to get up and sit there. How easy it is just to get used to stuff. And then you fall into something that is religion, doing, being, being, going to, being in a crowd, We lose the heart of it. And this is what Jesus said to the church in Sardis. You've spiritually gone to sleep. You're spiritually, used a a much stronger word, you're spiritually become dead. It's possible to be in church and become spiritually dead. It's possible for churches to be spiritually dead. It's possible to have a, a full place with lots of stuff going on like at Sardis and yet there not be the heart Lights are switched on, but there's no one in. That's the picture here. The lights are switched on, but there's no one at home. There's no heart in the place. And this is what had happened at the church in Sardis. And it was as if they become anesthetized by the age and the spirit of the age in which they lived in. You know, when you go for an operation, I I talk about this a lot. It's always on my mind. But you you go for an operation and the anaesthetist will come and talk to you and explain what's going on. Then a a nice nurse will come and be with you and they'll administer whatever they're administering to you to make you go to sleep. And someone will begin to talk to you just to get you to relax. And as you're talking away, you you can't remember. Then you, you wake up four or five hours later thinking, what happened? You've had the op. And it's a bit like that in life. There is a... Spirit of the age in which we live that anaesthetizes you and me. You don't think you're anaesthetized. I don't think I am. Because we just get on with life and do it. But it's amazing when Jesus comes and says, wake up! (laughs) I woke myself up saying that actually. When he comes and says, wake up. But it sometimes takes God to do that. Do you know what? There's a wake up call coming to our nation. There is a wake up call in our nation right now. It's coming on the church right now in our nation. Do not see, I don't want to say too much, I'm saving that for a short series I'm going to do about times and seasons and the wake up call and the return of Jesus. I'm going to do a short series on signs and times and end time events and what I believe to be the sort of coming, the return of Jesus. I'm looking at that. You don't hear too much about that these days, but unless it's from someone who says, I've got the, I've got the answer. And you get some weird stuff, but we're going to look at something. But Jesus is, is a wake-up call. And he gives a wake-up call to this church, the, the church in Sardis, and says, you need to shake yourselves off of the age, the spirit of the age. And so this city, Sardis, the 
complacent, comfortable city that was living off its past reputation and the money and wealth it had and had accumulated had come into the church. That spirit of complacency, wealth, you've done it, you've all, we've seen it and done it. How many Christians have you met that say, oh, I've done that in 52? I remember being in a church and we were going to start to um, door knock an area and deliver leaflets. It's not, not, not here, so you're all right. You don't have to look at anyone else. It's another part of the country. And I said, let's do this, this, this and this. And some people stood up and said, we did that in 65. It never happened then. It's not going to happen now. I said, well, could it be that God is the God of today? And maybe he's going to do a new thing? So we did it. It's interesting the response we had in that area. It's quite positive, actually. We had quite a positive response as we began to pray and sow positive release into the, to an area. And so, you know, spirit of the area can get hold of us. And, uh, and this is what happened at Sardis. The complacency had come in from the area and had come upon the church. How easy it is to let everything that's outside, around us in the world, the spirit of the age in which we live, the material humanistic, PC, politically correct, age in which we live, suffocates and becomes like a blanket on us. We need Jesus to come and say, wake up. Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. We can confuse activity with anointing. Um, a, 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 a Christian writer by William MacDonald says this, commenting on Sardis. He says, Sardis was a church of lifeless profession. It had a reputation as a Christian assembly, but for the most part, it simply went through a formal, dull routine. It did not overflow with spiritual life. It did not sparkle with the supernatural. I love that statement. William MacDonald says, it did not sparkle with the supernatural. They'd lost the spark, the spark of life. They'd lost it. They're living off of what they'd already accumulated, their ability. It's, it's so easy. Do you know what? I've got... This might, you know, you might not want to say, say, but I've got about 20 something years of sermons. I've got a box full of past sermons. I could live off 20 years worth of sermons. You could pick them out. Oh, we'll have this one. We'll have that one. But you can't live off that, can you? You can't live off the pie. It comes across as stale. It's old bread. It's old bread. Do you want your worship to be alive? Do you want our church to be alive? When I say Christians, if we've got to live off today's bread then. We have to embrace today. This is the day. This is your moment. This is our day, as it were. Um, Taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is now. It's a now statement. It's a statement of the moment. And Jesus is the living God. And this is what he was saying to Sardis. He said, you're living off of old bread. It's stale. You've got great reputation, but big deal. It does nothing now. And as a Christian, if you want to live alive, if you want to know God, if you want the sparkle to come upon your relationship, to come in your marriage, in your home, your family, relationships to be restored, if you want your Christianity to be alive and electric, if you want our church to be a place where God is, then it's up to us to embrace you and me, the church, Jesus says, to wake up, come alive. Well, how do you do that, you say? Interesting. It's a fairy story, but it's an interesting analogy. I know it's only a fairy story, but in Sleeping Beauty, when Sleeping Beauty goes to sleep because of something bad that's happened in her life, eating a nasty apple, put it that way, it's the kiss of the prince. <laughs> yeah, this is going out on the internet. Can you imagine people listening to this? He's talking about fairy stories. He's away with the fairies himself. But it's an analogy. It's the kiss of the prince that wakes her up. 
And you know, it's the kiss of Jesus Christ. It's the embrace of heaven. It's the embrace of the Holy Spirit. It's as the Holy Spirit comes, as the Lord Jesus puts his arms around us and says, I love you, you're my child. It's as Father God comes and says, you're my child. I love you so much. We need to embrace that living love. If in a family we have nothing to do with each other, husband and wife, parents and children, we don't embrace, there's, there's, no, there's no warmth. It soon grows cold and it becomes just nothing, empty and hollow. So too in church life, our church, our relationship with God becomes a, a clanging gong, it says, if there's no love in, if, in, in Corinthians. But if we embrace the living God, and it's the kiss of the prince that woke up sleeping beauty, it's the embrace of Father, it's the embrace of the Holy Spirit, it's the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ that wakes, awakens, yeah, I need you, Lord. Many a time in my Christian walk do I embrace God again. I say, I need you more today. I had a prophetic word over my life some years ago. It was, and I, I won't go into all the detail, but it was a word that was over me. And I would be like Daniel. And just like Daniel, when you think that you broke through and you've made it, you will come back to God afresh as if you're starting out all over again. That's been so true. I've learned to know governmental authority in the spirit realm through the power of prayer, just like Daniel. And I've experienced that. It's a true prophetic word that's come in my life. But also, I always find that I come back to needing God just as if I'm starting afresh. And it's a call that I have on God all the time. I need you more today than I've ever needed you, Lord. I call that into being over my life as I embrace my bread for today. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Isn't it interesting in John's gospel? He's the living bread. and We need to eat of his life and his presence today. And so this is what happened in this church. It had lost its way. It had become cold. A man called Vance Havner, we'll be coming to a close in a moment. Vance Havner, Christian writer, a historian and writer in the Christian realm, did an observation of Christian and spiritual ministries, churches, movements, organizations, Christians, leaders, revivalists, and he's done a study on revival history. And this is what he said. He said the ministries and revival goes through four stages. Interesting. Talk about, talk about coming to a, a conclusion. He says it starts with a man, then moves on to a movement, becomes a machine, and ends up a monument. Wow. Fourth stages. I tell you what, they're so true in your life in my life, in the life of any church, in any revival. You look at any revival, historic revival. It starts with a man, becomes a movement, starts with a man, a vision, the power of God moving in the lives of individuals. The early church started with people on fire. The Holy Spirit came upon the church with tongues of fire. It then becomes a movement. The early church became a movement. They spread out across the world, carrying the vision, turning the world upside down. It becomes a movement. Then it becomes a machine. As it grows, it becomes organized, systematized, has its place. And if we don't watch it, it moves on to a final place, it becomes a monument become so organized, we've lost, we've lost that heart individuality, that heart presence of God. It becomes a monument. And this is what happened at Sardis. They'd lost their way. How dangerous it is that, you know, in our Christian walk, if you lose the heart, we become almost a monument. So finally, Jesus says this to the church. He says to them, wake up in verse 2. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have 
not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. There's a number of things that he says to the church there to do. And if they could do that, they would have been renewed. I believe they would have been renewed. And there's, a, there's a, a four things that he shares there to renewal and there for life today. And a man called uh, Warren Wearsby says, if you lay hold of these four things, um, they're the formula for revival. There is actual words. You know, lots of people talking about revival, wanting revival. Uh, Warren Wearsby is a pastor and teacher, and he looks at these four things in Revelation. He says, and they are the formula for revival. Do you want the formula for revival, for God to revive your heart? For God to revive our church, for God to move in our town. This is the formula for revival. It's very biblical. Look at this. And these are the things that Jesus says to this church that's lost its way, that's slowed down with momentum and become a monument. Well, we want to not be a monument. We want to be a living, uh, a living building, a living temple, don't we? Living and alive. And these are the four things that we can do. So he says, wake up. Wake up. That word wake up there could also be translated be watchful. Interesting. In the NIV, it says, wake up. In the authorized version, it says, but watch. And the word wake up could be interchanged with the word to be watchful. So wake up, be watchful. Two things could almost be one thing there. Uh, Be watchful, wake up. I I don't know, there was a song that we historically have sung uh, over the years. I'm not going to try and sing it. Um, It goes, but open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see Jesus. Interesting song. Brilliant song, actually. Really biblical. Fantastic. Um, Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see Jesus, to see him high and lifted up, his train filling the temple. Great song. Wake up. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's a prayer for wake up. It's a wake up prayer. Do you know, we could all pray that song. We could all lay hold of that song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my circumstance, I don't see God. When things go wrong, we don't see God, but he's there because he's God. I find this remarkable. In the midst of the earthquake and terrible disease, God can be there. I just need to see him. It's easier said than done, isn't it? In the bad news that you have, God can be there. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see Jesus. So Jesus says, wake up. It's a great prayer. Wake up. Be watchful. Interestingly, The people at the time would have understood what he was saying. When he says this word, wake up, it's amazing. Jesus is incredibly clever. The history of Sardis is this. On two occasions, the city of Sardis had been um, ransacked. It had been taken by um, opposing armies, the Persians in particular. And uh, what had happened on two different occasions, Sardis is built on a very high, like like a mountain top. Uh, But on two different occasions, the lookouts who were looking out for the city had slept and not been watchful. And on, on, on one particular occasion, the opposing army found they had someone in the city tell them of a, a, a weak point in the city wall and they climbed up the city wall and the watchmen on the city wall were asleep and they took the city. It's a, it's, in, it's, a hist, it's a historic event that happened. And it's interesting that Jesus says, be watchful, wake up. They would have understood what that meant because the city of Sardis had been destroyed by an, another a Persian army many centuries before because the watchmen on the wall had gone asleep. And what Jesus was saying was, don't fall asleep. 
Keep a watch over your life, a watch over your church, a watch over your nation. Keep a watch over your spiritual life. As a Christian, you can lose it. You can lose heart. You can lose heart. I can. I'm sure you can. So watch your heart. Watch your life. Be awake. And when they went to sleep, the Persians climbed up the the walls of the city and got into the city and destroyed it. And there's things that can encroach on your life and my life that want to encroach on your life. That want to. That says the devil looks for opportunity. He looks for a foothold. In Ephesians, it says, "Do not allow the devil a foothold." In other words, a place to. The word foothold literally means a holding point. And when you're climbing on a rock, climbing, and you look for a hold. That's what a foothold is. That's what the devil looks for. A point to land, a piece of ground to help himself up into your life. So we have to keep a watch. Not looking over our shoulder thinking, oh, the devil's after me. I'm not saying that. But be alert that I'm going to sleep. I'm letting things go as a Christian. I'm taking it for granted. I'm going cold. I've lost the plot. I've let this get too much. This has become too, it's got on top of me as it were. The circumstance is out of control. It's being aware of these things and coming to God and say, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, Lord Jesus, in this. Wake up. Be watchful. And then he says there, um, um, repent. He uses the word repent. To repent means to say, not just I'm sorry. Not just I'm sorry. But it's it's to ask for forgiveness. To give forgiveness. To ask for forgiveness. But to turn your life around to follow God. To repent means, have you seen those signs that, that say, you have that sign that says no U-turn. You're going down a, a dual carriageway, but you're not allowed to do a U-turn and turn and come back the other way. Well, to repent means do a U-turn. The word repent means to turn around, complete turnaround. So if I am living my life, I'm, I'm living my life my way, I'm walking like Frank Sinatra said, I'm doing it my way and I'm walking this way. To repent means to turn around as I'm going to live for God. And I want you, God, I want to see you in my life. I want to see you and I want to live for you. I want to follow you and work and go for you. That's to repent. Wow, that's, that's incredible. It's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. And then you carry on as if you're, you're doing the same old stuff. To repent means I'm sorry, forgive me, God. But I want to turn and see you. I'm now going to look for you. And I'm going to follow you. And that's what it means to repent. Amazing. If you can turn, as the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look into his wonderful face. And um, that's what it means to repent. Wake up, watchful, repent. Finally, it says, remember what you've received and obey it. The final thing now, the final thing in the formula for revival is to remember what you received and obey it. In other words, remember what Jesus has done for you and live for him. You see, the church there had forgotten. They become so forgetful, they become so complacent, they relied on themselves, they relied on their pleasure, they relied on their leisure, they relied on their money, they relied on their nice building, they relied on their ministries, they relied on doing stuff. They would forgot what it was really all about. What's it really all about? It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about my heart and the heart of God. My hand being in the hand of God. Why? Because Jesus died for us. He gave his very life blood. He stood in the gap between me and you and God. And he stood in the gap and put his hand in the hand of God. And my uh, hand in my hand. And that's what he did on the cross. Outstretched his hands. And stood in the gap so that I could come from living my life my way to living God's way. And to give my life to him. And this is what he was saying to them. 
Remember, remember what it's really all about. It's so simple. It's about living for God. It's about having a heart relationship. It's about giving your life to him. It's about his death and sacrifice and resurrection. Have a heart. Get hold of this again. Let it touch your heart. Let it impact your life afresh. Remember. It's as simple as that. And then do something about it. Obey it. Live it. Go for it. Live it in your life. Wake up, be watchful, repent, remember what you've received, and obey it. That is an amazing formula for personal renewal and revival. Warren Wiersbe talks about it. It's amazing. We look for this and we look for that. If, and this is what he said to the church at Sardis. Become alive again. Have a heart. Return to me. Don't be dead. Be alive. Should pray together. God bless you. It's amazing. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Isn't that amazing? I find that spectacular. We live in a world that revels in reputation, don't we? We live in a world that revels in reputation, past momentum. Oh, you have done, we have done, we've achieved, you have got, what have you, what have you done? But Jesus is the author, perfecter of our faith. And as we embrace his heart for our lives, he loves you so much. He loves us so much. He says, return to me. Perhaps you're here tonight. And for maybe no fault of your own, your heart's grown cold. That's not pointing the finger at you. But it's just become, we've done it so much, become monotonous. Maybe our Christian walk, we feel that there's nothing there. God doesn't point the finger at you. He says, return to me. Maybe we've lost our way. Maybe there's things that have upset us and hurt us. And they've tarnished our experience of God. Maybe for some of us, you know, we need to come and say, I've been living for myself. I want to now live for you, God. Maybe for some of us, we've confused doing stuff with living for God. And God just says, I want your heart. You know, as a church, it's not our reputation or the reputation of historic Oasis Christian Center or any other church for that matter, their their reputation, but it's knowing Jesus today that counts. And we confess our need of him. And so tonight, Father, we come from different backgrounds and different experience. And we just say, we confess our immense need of you, the living God. Father, we want to return to the very essentials of our faith. Remember from where we've come. It's as simple as this, your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's just you, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. We lift up your name in this place. We lift up your name over our lives and we lift up your name over, I lift up your name over people's marriages over people's homes over people's livelihoods we lift up your name over our church we lift up your name over Long Eaton we lift up your name over the churches of Long Eaton Father God we pray we lift up your name over the people of Long Eaton and this area and Father we, we just we just lift up you and we just say Lord open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you for our lives Lord, as a church, we don't want to be spiritually dead. We want to be alive to your heart. We want to have a heart 
And we open up our hearts to you now, Father. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, Lord Jesus. I want to see you at college. I want to see you at work. I want to see you in my life. I want to see you in my family. I want to see you in my relationship with my husband or my wife. I want to see you in my relationship with my children. I want to see you in my relationship with my friends. I want to see you in our church, Lord. Oh, Lord, we want to see you in our town. We want to see you in our circumstance where we find ourselves right now. We want to see you in the news that we've been given or heard. We want to see you, Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of our hearts. Oh, Lord, you're a good God, amazing God. You're the living God. You love to be amongst us. You're in the midst of our lives. We want to see you and experience you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Awaken us, Father, with the embrace of your love. Awaken our our church, Father. Awaken our lives. Awaken our hearts, Father God. Awaken marriages. Awaken relationships, Father. Awaken the spiritual atmosphere. I pray over the atmosphere here and in this auditorium and over our church right now. An awakened atmosphere. And alive, you say, wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead. It's your embrace tonight, Lord Jesus, that we just open up our hearts to you and love you. In your name we pray. You know, just while our eyes are closed, just for a moment or two more, we're coming. Is there anyone here tonight, and you may be here tonight, and you... You know, it might not be you, it might be you. But you feel that you need to just get your life and heart right with Jesus right now. I'm not going to call you out, as it were, and pick upon you. But if there's anyone here right now, while our eyes are closed, no one's going to look at you. But you feel that you need to get your heart and life right with Jesus right now. Just, just want to just pray over you, as it were. Just put your hand up right now. I'm not going to keep this going. But no one's going to look at you. But do you feel that you want to just get that right? You want to put it right in place? Maybe you've been living in a way that you think, God, there's a habit that needs to be broken. There's an attitude that needs to be dealt with. There's something I've just let go. The circumstances overcome me. I've grown cold. I'm not in the place that I used to be as a Christian. If there's anyone right now, quickly, just put your hand up and we're just going to pray. Lord, you know, you know our hearts tonight. And you know as people put their hands up. It, it, the putting up the hand is the acknowledging of our hearts. And I just pray for the you know, four or five people that have just acknowledged that right now. That you would just uh, touch their lives and uh, fill their heart. And that they would find a place that is restored in you. And that there be renewed spiritual passion. There'd be a renewed sense of your love in their lives, a renewed sense of Jesus alive, a renewed sense that you're in the circumstance of their lives. If there's any habit that, that is on their lives, would you just break and help them break any habit that, that is just pulling them down? Would you love them and encourage that person right now, Father, and take them to a place that's renewed in you, in Jesus' name? And Lord, you've seen us, even if our hand hasn't been raised, you know the state of my heart. You know what I am like. And we just come before you, not in any sense of condemnation, but before a Father that is a God of love and the God that wants to be alive and in our lives. And we just say, Lord, would you just have an open door into my heart and life? There's an open door for you to do whatever you will. We just embrace all that you have for us right now. We want to be the people of God today, not just of God yesterday, but living alive today. So Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. And may we just know the embrace of your love in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.